you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Well, good morning, Sydney Hill. It is so good to see you again in person. I've been off for a few weeks, and it's my first Sunday back, so it's good to be here. And to be honest, I'm just kind of stoked that there's actually people here. Uh, and we can gather like this. Uh, a huge shout out to those who are joining us at our open service over at Holy Nativity in Hughesdale. Thank you so much for joining us as well. Uh, and if you're joining us online as well, from the comfort of your home, from whether you're isolating or you're currently down with the dreaded rotor, uh, we're so thankful that you've been able to join us this morning. Hey, how about I pray uh, as we dive into God's word this morning? Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we, we thank you for your word to us, uh, that you have revealed yourself to us, and, and that this morning we get to uh, dive deeply uh, into these words of Jesus for us. Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear. Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see. Pray that you would give us tongues to, to taste your beauty and your glory, and, and that you would just do the miraculous work of, uh, of tra- transforming our, our hearts and minds this morning. Lord, I pray that just what, what I have to say uh, might be so well seen in your sight that you might choose to use it for your glory this morning. We pray these things in the mighty, mighty name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen. Well, growing up, I was never really uh, into computer games. In fact, the only real games console I had was a, a PlayStation 2. Which, was, uh, which I got for my 21st birthday, which was given to me by my uh, then-girlfriend. Uh, and, uh, well, you know, obviously she was marriage material, so uh, we got married. Uh, but I was never really very good at computer games. Uh, and so when Kirsty would, you know, come over, and I'd been playing FIFA soccer, uh, and, and she'd come over and, and join in, she'd always beat me. Like, she, she barely played, but no matter how much I played, I could never beat her. And that was fine, because uh, one of the things that was constantly told to us as kids was that you know, play, playing too much computer games was really just a waste of time, because, I mean, you know, it's not going to contribute to your future. You're never going to make money playing video games. Well, it turns out that my parents and everyone's parents were wrong, because now you can actually make a lot of money playing video games. I mean, recently a gamer took home more money than the winner of the US Open Tennis Tournament by playing a video game competition. Uh, And these days, you know, there's uh, gamers uh, who make videos on themselves playing video games, and they get shown on YouTube, and they make income from that. I mean, no, no one would have thought, especially when I was a kid, that that kind of job would exist these days. 
Now, obviously, over the last kind of 10 to 15 years with the internet and technology and uh, social media and all that kind of thing, there's, there's now hundreds of different ways to earn money and make a living that didn't exist in the past and we would have never have thought of. Uh, one of those uh, ones that exist today, uh, a so-called job, is that of being a social media influencer. Now, uh, what is a social media influencer, says everyone over the age of 35? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, a social media influencer is someone who has built a, a large following online on social media, and because of their, might be their knowledge or their expertise on a topic, or simply because uh, of their reputation, they've gained the power to affect the purchasing decisions of their audience, of their followers. And so their, their followers trust what they say and their opinions. And so these days, brands and companies will pay influencers based on how many followers they have to promote their products on their social media accounts to their followers. Because instead of like kind of the more traditional forms of advertising, they've, they've recognized just how influential that, that relationship can be. Because the, the reality is, is that we're, we're all influenced by others to, to a more or less degree. The, the people around you will influence you for better or for worse. But that also means that in turn, for, for better or for worse, you'll also influence and affect those around you. So the question for us this morning is, how will you use the, the influence that you have been given? We are, our, our, our family is a somewhat divided family. Uh, Kirsty, uh, she goes for the Western Bulldogs, uh, whereas I have always followed the Hawks. Uh, and the moment our, our daughter Jamie was born, uh, Kirsty's brother bought her a Bulldogs membership. Uh, and so she was kind of born into the Bulldogs family as a Bulldogs supporter. But our boy Elijah, he was born in 2013. And just a few months after that, the Hawks won the premiership. Uh, and in fact, for the three years following, they were the reigning premiers. And so it's kind of only natural that he would be a, uh, a Hawks supporter. Now, the problem is, is I don't actually really care that much about football. Uh, but Kirsty's whole family is kind of big supporters of the Western Bulldogs. Her, her dad actually grew up in Footscray, just down the road from their home ground back in the day. Which means all of the cousins follow the Bulldogs, and it kind of meant that Elijah was a bit of an odd one out. So under just the, the in, intense influence of all of his cousins, uh, last year, Elijah, you know, announced to me and to the rest of the family that he changed teams and he, he no longer follows the Hawks, but he follows the Bulldogs. He did try to console me and say, you know, well, Hawks is my second team, but like, I'm sorry, dude, you're dead to me. <laughs> no, just kidding. Because to be, to be honest, I, say, I, I, don't, I don't actually really care that much, as long as it's not Collingwood or Geelong. It's fine. But it means that he's been, he's been learning from them what it, what it means to follow the Bulldogs. He's been learning the, the different players, and he's got a jumper of his uh, favorite player, number four, Bontempelli. Uh, he's even got a Bulldogs camping chair. Uh, and so over the years, uh, Elijah has been discipled into being a Bulldogs supporter. See, under, under, the, under the influence of his cousins and his family, he's been converted and formed into a true follower of the Bulldogs. 
Uh, We're continuing our series uh, looking at Jesus' final words to his disciples in the book of Matthew, known as the Great Commission. Uh, If you were with us last week, Nick kicked us off uh, so wonderfully unpacking for us the the first part of that text, where, where Jesus says that he's been given all authority that Jesus has a a cosmic authority and that there's nothing that isn't under his authority. And this has come after Jesus has come as a baby and he's grown up as a man and he's revealed himself as the God-man who who lived a perfect life and uh, died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and had now then risen from death. And now he's appeared and he's, he's talking in the flesh to his disciples. And so at this point, where, when Jesus says that he's been given this, this cosmic authority, it means that he has the right to issue to, to his followers their, their marching orders. I mean, this is what it says, verse uh, 18. It says, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. It says, verse 19, go, and then what's the next word? Therefore. And so just a quick uh, tip, perhaps you've heard it before, but whenever you see the word therefore in the text, you need to ask what the therefore is therefore, because it's always pointing back to something that is important. And Jesus just said that he has all authority. Therefore, which means that whatever he says next, no matter what that is, It is the most important thing for his disciples to know and do based on the fact that he has this this cosmic authority. So, So if he says, I have been given this cosmic authority, therefore, gather an army. Take down the Romans, uh, bring, take back Jerusalem and, and establish an empire with the king, then that's what they were to do. Or, or if he says, I have been given this cosmic authority, therefore, breed multicolored unicorns and, and use them for work, leisure, and food, then that's what they were to do. See, whatever Jesus says at that point, no, no matter what it is, is absolutely critical for those who follow him. And that's why it's called the, the Great Commission. It's, it's what we are to do if we are his disciples, if we are his followers of Jesus. And, and so what he says, verse 19, he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, I didn't exactly uh, major in English at school. I you know, went to public school. Uh, But in our English translations, it it looks like in this text that we have uh, four key verbs, right? Uh, Verbs are doing words, if you remember. Uh, And so those four verbs are go, uh, disciple or make disciples, baptize, and teach. So it kind of sounds here like there's, there's four kind of separate and distinct imperatives for us. Now, I did go to Bible college, but I, I didn't exactly major in Greek uh, either. But people who are much smarter than me tell me that in the original Greek, only one of those is actually the, the main verb, like the controlling idea that is actually the key imperative. So I thought what we might do is uh, play a little game together. And it's called, guess the main verb of the text. 
All right, you with me? All right, so uh, what we're going to do is we're going to all vote for one of these verbs. Which one you think is actually that main verb? Uh, and so that includes those who are joining us over in Hughesdale. Uh, perhaps if you're lo- online, you could type it into the uh, chat as well. Uh, so those verbs, again, are go, disciple, teach, or baptize. Right? So when I, we're going to raise our hand for each one. Right, so put your hand up uh, if you think that baptize is the main command here. All right, no, no one, no, no Baptists here, obviously. Uh, put your hand up if you think uh, that teach is the main one. Or oh, hesitation there. All right, no Presbyterians either. Put your hand up if you think that disciple is the main one. All right, now we're getting a little bit of traction. All right, and now put your hand up if you think that go is... All right, that's... All right. Uh, put your hand up if you didn't vote for any because you don't really like to be wrong. All right. No one's willing to admit that one. Well, in fact, the, the winner is disciple. Hey, yeah, all right. See, it's the, actually the only verb in this sentence that is actually an imperative. And so the primary command that Jesus gives to his disciples here is to make disciples, which means all the other things, the, the going and the teaching and the baptizing are only as good as to the extent to which they contribute to the making of disciples. Now, making disciples, it, it doesn't just happen. It requires effort and intentionality, and that's why we're also commanded to, to go. And our, our community and missions pastor, Pat Donahue, next week he's going to be diving into that text. He was supposed to do it today, but we had to do a bit of a COVID switcheroonie. But today we'll be exploring first, well, well, what is a disciple? And then we'll look at what does it mean then to be a disciple of Jesus? So first we'll consider what, what, what is a disciple? Back in Jesus' day, if you, uh, if you wanted to be like a, a religious or a community leader, then, then you would find a rabbi, someone that you wanted to, to be like and learn from and, and be influenced by, and you would apply to follow them and be their disciple. And so that, that rabbi would, would watch you and they would examine you and they would ask you questions to see if you would be a, a worthy disciple. And those rabbis would be trying to find the, the best and the most capable people, the most capable students to, to be their disciples and, and carry on and further their, their teaching. And so if they deemed you worthy, then they would allow you to follow them. And, and it was said that disciples were to have the dust of their rabbi all over them. Meaning that as they, as they sat at their rabbi's feet, that they would be close enough that you know, the, the dust of their master's feet would be on them because they're so eager to learn. Or perhaps as their, as their master was walking down the road and maybe chatting with another rabbi, discussing you know, the theological thing of the day, that their, their, their disciples would be following clo- so close behind them that they'd be walking in the dust of the cloud that was kicked up by their feet. Now, in church, we tend to have the opposite kind of thing. Uh, everyone kind of tends to, to sit down the back as, as far back away as possible, and then it's kind of only if you're really late that you're forced to, you know, move down the front. You know, I know, you, you come in and hoping there's maybe a spare sack of chairs so you don't have to do that kind of walk of shame down the front if you're kind of particularly late looking for somewhere to sit. But uh, where, you, where you sit in church 
doesn't really matter so much because, you know, you don't need to sit at my feet or Nick's feet. And in fact, don't because that's weird. And, you know, COVID, stay 1.5 metres away. But you're not, not followers of us, you're followers of Jesus. But, but what it meant to, to be a disciple back then was to, to follow your master just so closely that you'd always be, whether sitting at their feet or walking with them, in, in the proximity of their dust, in the, the proximity of their influence. It meant that you didn't just learn from them, but you were learning to live like them. So this, is, this helps us to understand some of what the, the Bible has in view when it talks about what it means to be a disciple. And so what then does it, does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? So from this passage, I want to uh, just draw out three aspects that, that kind of mark out what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Because, because Jesus didn't just choose you know, the, the best of the best or the most capable, but in fact, he, he extends that invitation to everyone to follow him. He calls all people to follow him. Well, the first thing that we see from this passage is that disciples of Jesus have a new identity. Let's read from verse 19. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Last week, uh, we realized that it had just been 20 years since Kirsty and I went on our first date. Uh, And then next month, it's actually going to be 17 years since we got married. Uh, and one of the things that happened on that day when we got married was uh, Kirsty. she received a new name. She received my name. And so she went from being Kirsty Davies to being Kirsty Castle. Now, now she tells me that the main reason that uh, she married me was so that uh, she could get that surname because her favorite movie is The Castle. <laughs> but, but part of the significance of that change in name is is that now she has a, a new kind of identity. She has a new primary family allegiance. And, and our kids, Jamie and Elijah, they also have our surname because they've been born into our family. It's, it's part of their identity. It's part of who they are. It's, it's who they are allegiant to. For, for, for some of us, though, you know, our, our family name and our identity isn't always positive. I mean, we think of... Uh, kids of famous people, whether they may be celebrities or, or sports stars, they, they often have just you know, incredible pressure and expectation put on them to be as good and as successful as their parents, and obviously they're, they're known and recognized everywhere because of their name. Or perhaps if there's you know, infamy in your family or there's, there's some kind of serious relationship breakdown, you, you might change your name so that there's, you're trying to distance yourself from that identity, or at least to show that there's, there's no longer any kind of family allegiance there. Because our names, the names that we bear, the names that we are given, carry significance. Now, there's so much more that we could say about baptism and what it means, but, but here, when it says that we are baptized, that you are baptized into the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, it means that you've been given a, a whole new identity, that you've been adopted by God, and that you now belong to Him. You, you are a child of God and a co-heir with Christ. 
And so you now bear his name, and so your allegiance is now not to the world or to, or to anything else, but your primary allegiance now is to God. And God has, has no hesitation in making you his son or daughter. He, he has no regrets about bringing you into his family, and that's why he says to baptize them in my name. One of the things I love about uh, baptism is, is the picture that it gives us of death and new life. Uh, this is what we read in Romans 6 from verse 4. It says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a res- resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So because we have been united with Christ, as we, as we go down into the waters of baptisms, it signifies that we have died with him. That we've been buried with him, dying to the old self, dying to sin. And then when we are brought up out of the water, it signifies that we have been raised to new life. No longer enslaved to sin, but but set free and forgiven, set free from guilt and shame. And so we were dead in our sin, and, and now we are dead to our sin and are spiritually alive in Christ. That we have been born again into a new family with a a new identity and a new allegiance for our life. And and this is what we see just over and over again throughout the whole New Testament. When Jesus said that to to follow him means to to take up your cross. To to be a disciple of Jesus is is not to live for yourself, but to deny yourself. Paul Paul says that it's, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ that lives in me. And so disciples are, are about dying to sin and, and walking in the newness of life as a follower of Jesus. And so this is what, what baptism signifies and, and why it's so significant. And it's why the, the New Testament knows nothing of an unbaptized disciple. And so if you're a Christian, if, if you've repented of your sin and you're trusting in Jesus for salvation, but but you haven't been baptized, then, then as a matter of obedience to Jesus, you need to get baptized. Good news, Easter, we'll be having baptisms. Uh, so if you haven't been baptized, and you want to find out what that more, that, what, what, more about what that is about and what that might look like so you can be baptized, then uh, come and speak to you. You can speak to me or Nick or Pat, and we'll get that happening. But because disciples... Have a, have a new identity in Jesus, we also now have a completely new trajectory for our life. And that's the second aspect we'll look at from this passage. The disciples of Jesus have a new trajectory for their life. So let's look at the first part of verse 20, where Jesus says that, that making disciples includes, verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, now notice here that, that this involves not only the, the transfer of information, but, but whole-of-life transformation. Because, 
because disciples are, are not just to learn, but are to observe, are to obey all that Jesus has commanded. And, and so this making disciples, it, it includes conversion. So when Jesus says to make disciples, he, he fully expected people to be converted. And, and that's why disciples need to be baptized. But, but making disciples doesn't end with conversion and baptism. That's actually the beginning. The disciples are to be on this, this lifelong trajectory of growth from, from infancy in the faith to maturity. And, and that growth, it tells us, primarily comes through both knowing and understanding what the Bible says and applying it to your life so it transforms how you live. And that trajectory of growth is to, to span the entire length of your life. You, you never stop growing. And I think on, on one hand, it can, be, it can be easy for us, or for the most part, we, we know that. We know that, don't we? But, but if you've been in church for a while, it can kind of just be all, all too easy to, to simply just become satisfied with, with where we're at, with, with what we already know. Because it, when you get to a certain point, it, it takes more effort, doesn't it, to, to learn and to grow and to understand and to apply. But then at the same time as being satisfied with what we know, we're dissatisfied with, you know, how spiritual unfruitful we're being. You know, we're, we're still struggling with the same sins. Maybe there's a, a relentless kind of spiritual lethargy that we feel or, or perpetual backsliding. Our worship tends to be kind of half-hearted or there's perhaps no real zeal for Jesus and we, and we wonder why. D.L. Moody, he has said this. He said, I've never seen, uh, I never saw a fruit-bearing Christian who was not a student of the Bible. So few grow because so few study. See, as a, as a disciple, you, you need to have first-hand knowledge of what the Bible says. You, you can't know the Bible by proxy. Uh, one of the things that we've we've always championed here at Sit on a Hill is, is the teaching and preaching of the Bible. And I know that one of the things that, that many of you love and appreciate about our church is that we take that seriously. You know, that we, that we preach through whole books of the Bible. I mean, we're currently spending four weeks on three verses. But, but just because you go to a church that does that, that doesn't automatically mean that you know the Bible yourself. D.L. Moody, he goes on and says this, Says what we need as Christians is to be able to feed ourselves. How many there are who sit helpless and listless with open mouths, hungry for spiritual things, and the minister has to try to feed them, while the Bible is a feast prepared into which they never venture. How are you growing in your knowledge and understanding of Scripture? And as we said, this, this growth is, is not merely just about knowing more information about Jesus, but it's about transformation to become more like Jesus. Uh, it says this in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Let me just turn there in my Bible. Verse 11, chapter 4, says this, And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, 
to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed, or, tossed to and fro by the, the waves and carried about by the wind of every doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So did you, did you see there what the, the measure of maturity is? It's in verse 13. It says that the measure of maturity is the stature of the fullness of Christ, which means that it is Christ in all the, the fullness of his perfection is the, the standard of maturity to, to which we are to aspire. It's to which the Holy Spirit is leading us. Now, we, we don't reach Christ's perfection in this life, but that's to be the trajectory of our lives. Now, is, is that uh, expectation of maturity, you know, just for, you know, pastors or, or ministry leaders or, you know, uber-Christians? No, because it says, again, in verse 13, that it's until we all attain. And so that is for all of us. So, so how are you, are you growing as a disciple of Jesus or have you just kind of become stagnant? Because I think if you've, you've grown stagnant, then perhaps it's because you've, you've actually lost sight of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Because disciples have this, this new trajectory of life for their life, of growth and maturity. Number three, disciples have a new mission for their life. Disciples have a new mission for their life. Sometimes I think when we, when we read the Great Commission, we think, well, well, that command, well, that was given to the, the apostles, to, you know, it was given to the church leaders who, who planted churches and have they started ministries, and or for, that's for, for missionaries who get sent. They, they go, they go overseas. But let's have a, a little bit of a look at the logic in the passage. See, Jesus is commanding his disciples to make disciples, and, and a critical, non-negotiable aspect of making disciples includes teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. And so surely, teaching them to obey all that he has commanded includes Jesus' command to make disciples. You know, Jesus didn't say, you know, teach them to obey all that I have commanded, except this one command to make disciples, just, just save that for, you know, just a few of the ordained guys. No, no, the, the Great Commission is, is given to every Christian, that, that disciples are to make disciples. Robert Coleman, uh, in his book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, says this, The Great Commission is not merely to go to the ends of the earth preaching the gospel, nor to baptize a lot of converts in the name of the triune God, nor to teach them the precepts of Christ, but to make disciples, to, to build men like themselves who are so constrained by the commission of Christ that they not only follow Jesus themselves, but led others to follow him too. See, to God's mission strategy for, for making disciples is you. It, it, it's you. you. You get that, right? And that's why, you know, our, our mission statement, as we, as we say it, sit on a hill, is that we exist to know Jesus and to make Jesus known. And, you know, that's kind of cool and catchy, but it's, it's, not, it's not just for, you know, the, the royal we, 
It's not just that, that's something that we as a church as a whole do, but our, our hope is that you, that individual disciples would know and own that for themselves, that, that you exist to know Jesus and to make Jesus know. And so Jesus says in, in Mark 1.17, he says that, uh, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So if you're truly a disciple of Jesus, and that's what he's making you into, he's making you into a disciple-making disciple. Now, that can be a bit intimidating, but it doesn't necessarily mean that, that all of us uh, uh, you know, called to preach big evangelistic sermons or, or to baptize or to teach in formal settings or, or even to be missionaries to foreign nations. Uh, Mark Dever, I think he really helpfully uh, defines discipling, what it means to be a disciple-making disciple, like this. He says, Discipling is doing deliberate spiritual good to someone so that he or she will be more like Christ. Or, or more simply, he says it's, Helping others follow Jesus. Now, now I love that because it's, it's actually something that we can all do. So let's consider just maybe some of the ways that the, the Bible describes what this might actually look like, how it is that we can help others follow Jesus. So for example, the, the writer of Hebrews, he commands all Christians not to give up meeting together, but to exhort one another and to build one another up every day. In 1 Corinthians, Paul commands every member to use their gifts for the building up of the body. In Titus 2, Paul commands older women to be training the younger women. In 2 Timothy 2, Paul commands Timothy to train faithful men so that they can train others also. In Ephesians 6, the burden of responsibility for the discipleship of children is given to fathers. Or perhaps even consider how Peter instructs wives with unbelieving husbands in 1 Peter 3. That their, that their husbands might be won over to Jesus, not with words, but with their Christ-like conduct. That they might disciple them into the kingdom by the way that they live. Now, now all of that, as I said, might, might seem a bit intimidating. And perhaps you're thinking, well, you know, what, what could I possibly do? What, what, what do I have? I don't, I don't know much. I don't, I'm not sure what gifts I have. But the reality is it's, it's not about your ability, but your availability. It's about your, your willingness to be, to be used by the Holy Spirit, to, to say, yes, Lord, that I, I want to, to serve you and be used by you. And then it's about intentionality. It's about being intentional about that, that, that when... We, we own this call that Jesus has put in our lives, that, that it develops in us a, a disciple-making mindset. That, that in everything that we do, we, we look for every opportunity that we can have to, to help others follow Jesus. For example, part, part of the reason why we, we, we need to gather together in your presence just at church is so critical, and, and part of why this, what makes this, this time, this season that we're in, so sad and so difficult is because you're here to, to help others follow Jesus. That's why, that's why you're here. You know, that might include, you know, serving on one of our teams, but, but you don't need to be serving in a formal capacity to have that mindset that you can come to church and be intentional about what kind of spiritual good you can be doing to others who are here, who, who you could connect with, 
who you could uh, come alongside or encourage or, or pray with. Uh, I know for, for some members of the church, they're, they're really intentional about, about where they sit or they, they come early and stay late because they want to connect with people and they want to encourage people because they know that the reason they're here is to help others follow Jesus. Or perhaps if you're in a gospel community, it's not simply that the leaders are the disciple makers and everyone else is there to be discipled. But each person being there is there to help one another follow Jesus. And so maybe this is the, the time for, for you to take that next step in being intentional about being a disciple-making disciple. And so what's that, what's that next step for you right now? Maybe it is uh, signing up and serving on one of our ministry teams on a Sunday. Maybe it's joining a gospel community and being part of that. Maybe it's sticking up to, to lead or to host a gospel community. Or maybe it's helping get involved in, in training and, and equipping and, and mentoring new gospel communities as well, gospel leaders as well. Maybe it's just something as simple as, as making some phone calls and, and finding people to, to catch up with, to, to, to read the Bible with and pray and, and encourage one another in the faith. Maybe as a, as a parent, it's, it's, it's growing in how or what it looks like to, to disciple your kids. And so what is it, what is it that that's next step for you? For this year, uh, we really want to provide lots of opportunities for you to grow as a disciple and then also equip you to be a disciple-making disciple. Uh, so a few things that we've got happening this year. So one of those is our Engage Internship. Uh, Engage Internship is a, is a one-and-a-half to two-day-a-week uh, internship, which is the really practical kind of hands-on ministry training experience that's going to start up in March. And another great opportunity is through our Biblical Soul Care course. Uh, we started that last year. It's got four modules. We had the first one late last year. We've got the second one coming up towards the end of February. And if you've already kind of missed out on that first one, that's fine. You can still jump on board. But, but that's all about what it looks like to, to come alongside others, to help them grow in their faith, to help them follow Jesus. Another great opportunity, as, as Lisa mentioned earlier, is our mentoring program that we're, that we're starting up as well. So there's, there's, there's lots of things, a whole bunch of practical things that, that you can be doing this year to not just grow as a disciple, but grow in how you can be discipling others as well. But I just want to also just kind of finish now on what that might look like for you. Because if I, you know, if I was to ask you, you know, are you a Christian? You might go, yeah, well, yeah, of course. But then if I asked you, are you a disciple of Jesus? You know, would you answer that so quickly? Because that kind of feels like it kind of raises the bar a bit, doesn't it? But really, there's no difference between those two questions. And the reality is that we're, we're all disciples. We're all actually being discipled by something. There's, there's something that, that influences you the most about how you live, that influences you the most as towards the, the trajectory of your life. And so for you, is, is Jesus the, the greatest and most defining influence in your life? Have you, have you submitted yourself to his call and claim on your life? Is there fruit that you can see in your life that, that you are actually a follower of Jesus? And then as a disciple, how will you use the, the opportunities and the influence that you have been given 
to be a disciple-making disciple? How will you use that to help others follow Jesus? Because this is the call that he has on your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we praise you because you truly do have all authority. And we thank you that you have, you have called us to yourself, that you have adopted us into your family, that you've given us a new identity, given us new life. And, and so we just want to recognize and accept and submit to your call on our lives to follow you. We might be intentional and fruitful in helping others to follow you as well. So Lord, I pray. Maybe we be just men and women who are passionate in growing up in you, to, to know you more, to know your word more, to be transformed by it, to follow you more closely. And Lord, we pray that just by your grace that we might be fruitful in that, that by your grace might we be people who, who see much fruit in our endeavors to make disciples. Lord, we know that only ultimately that fruit comes by the, the power and the work of your Holy Spirit. But Lord, we know that you use us for your purposes. And so we pray for that now. Lord, we love you. And it's in your mighty, mighty name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.